Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. I'm Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. David, this is the part of the show where I usually introduce our guests, but our guests are going to be ourselves on this show. <laughs> so uh, how are you doing today, man? Oh, good. I am in Colorado. Uh, so a weird show in a weird place, but it's going to be a really fun topic today. You know, uh, you say it's a weird show, but we used to do a lot of these types of shows in the early mm -hmm. days of Bankless. Um, so for context, guys, we're going to dig deep on a theme. That theme is the metaverse. David wrote this fantastic article. I think it's the best article I've ever read on the metaverse. It's called The Metaverse Emerges. And uh, we're, we're going to discuss that in depth. But we used to do this in the old days a whole lot, mm -hmm. David, where it would just be like, before we had guests, before anyone wanted to come on the Bankless podcast and say hello, it was just you and I digging through a topic together, something we'd given a lot of thought to. And I know you've given a lot of thought to the metaverse. So this is almost like a, a throwback to our roots in the episodes we used to do, where we would deep dive on a given thesis, like the protocol sync thesis came out of this, um, digital nation, Ethereum is a digital nation, right. ETH as money came out of this, even the bankless meme came out of some of these early conversations. So I feel like this is a throwback to our old days. Yeah, absolutely. Like we say uh, behind uh, behind the uh, the scenes at Bankless, that Bankless is a thesis-driven media company. And when we stumble upon a thesis that I think uh, we think is valid and deserves to be like shared and propagated, uh, it's time to make a show about that. So uh, it's been a while since we've come up with a new a new thesis. Ryan just listed listed a bunch of them off. Um, but uh, every now and then, uh, I think we have some good ideas, and so we are going to explore this thesis and see how it can predict how the metaverse emerges hence the title yeah. of the episode or the yeah the episode i actually i think this is like so um this is also another lens through which you can see crypto right the the lens of of seeing uh it through like a metaverse essentially um i, I tweeted this out recently it's like just super simple right so one if you believe everything is going digital right most people believe that you know two people like to own things right? They like to own their own property. Everything going digital, people like to own their own property. Well, um, number three, they're definitely going to want to own their own digital property, right? So like- Two plus two is entire, four. That, that's the entire thesis of crypto, right. right? Humanity is going digital. People like to own things. People are going to want to own digital things. Mm -hmm. That's crypto in a nutshell. And if you believe that's true, then- like crypto's got to have a bright future. And I think the the metaverse sort of fits into that because what we're doing in crypto is so, like, I guess the, the metaverse is hard to define. Maybe we'll get into some definition of it. But what we're doing in crypto is we're, we're layering kind of this object permanence on top of it, this digital property rights system. Raul Paul, when we had him on the episode last time, David, he defined the, the metaverse as digital fluidity. And, and I really like that concept too. But what are we going to be diving into today? What's the, the high level here? Yeah, exactly. Extrapolating on, on what you said, once we have digital objects and uh, objects that exist only on the internet, then it's up to the internet and the things that we do on it to build a world around those objects. Because we're not going to build a physical world around those objects. We already have a physical world with physical objects. Now that now we have digital objects, but what we are missing is a digital world. But I think this whole digital world of which people have started to call the metaverse 
begins with a base of digital objects. Uh, and so the, the fundamental thesis about this whole idea is that the metaverse emerges out of a shared registry, a shared state of truth, a single source of truth of all known objects in the digital universe, which, or the metaverse. So that's, that's like kind of the skeleton for the whole entire thesis. And then um, the, the other concept is that like the metaverse is rendered at the periphery, but the objects are stored locally, right? It's stored centrally. Uh, and we've seen historical anecdotes for this, historical references. Uh, and that's also kind of why I think this thesis has a decent uh, amount of like uh, foundation to stand on, is that we can look back into history and see a similar pattern emerge with regards to, and this is where we were talking about with the emergence of like the whole bankless nation, digital Leviathans, crypto, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, these are digital nations in the clouds, but they are just extensions out of like these same social scaffoldings that we've seen come before them, hence the nation state. And what does the nation state do really, really well? It provides like numbers and serial numbers and like business tax IDs. It like it also likes to serialize and account for things that are inside of its domain, inside of its borders. Uh, and uh, once the nation state knows what's inside of it and it serializes all valuable objects inside of it, then it actually starts to build a civilization around that. Uh, and that is kind of how the nation state has, you in, know, in in there's many different ways to describe how the nation state emerged. But that is one, in my mind, uh, how nation states were born is like they discovered that they have valuable things inside of them and they started to account for those things uh, and build a world around that. All right. So if that sounds interesting, guys, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today, how the metaverse emerges, how crypto is playing a key pivotal role in the emergence of the metaverse. David, I feel like uh, since the beginning when we started Bankless, it's really been a quest of us trying to figure out what crypto is, trying to figure out what Bitcoin is, trying to figure out what Ether, the asset is, and what Ethereum is. And we've used many different analogies and many different mental models, and this is yet another, but I think uh, it's going to aid the listener in sort of understanding this space and also understanding A, where to spend their time, because that's a valuable resource, but we B, where to invest their money mm -hmm. as well, right? So like, um, I recall kind of early definitions of, of, of Ether, even in 2017, some people weren't saying it's money, but um, they're saying, well, maybe it's money in a limited use case uh, for ICOs, like ETH as ICO money. Um, then DeFi came about and it was ETH is DeFi money. Then NFTs made a big splash and it's ETH as NFT money. And we talked about um, ETH's supply scarcity in the future with EIP mm -hmm. 1559. ETH is ultrasound money. And now maybe ETH is turning into metaverse money. That is kind of a, a tantalizing conclusion that I hope mm -hmm. we get to at the end. But David, let's um, let's zoom back out to the twenty thousand foot view here and talk about some of these bankless concepts that we've talked about before. You kind of hinted at them mm -hmm. um, a little bit, but I think for people who aren't familiar with some of our previous episodes, some of the stuff maybe bears some recap. But you talked about crypto economic systems as a nation state, and we put out a bankless podcast called The Bankless Nation, mm -hmm. all about this. Um, can, can you talk about that mental model for things? Why do we refer to things like the bankless nation? Why do we talk about Ethereum being sort of the successor uh, to the nation state what's uh, what's the, the concept there right so um bitcoin ethereum crypto economic systems they take 
a lot of responsibilities that nation states have and they take them and say, hey, we can do this better. Not all of them. Uh, you know, if your house is on fire or if you are, have a robber in your house, you are calling your nation state services, right? Ethereum's not going to save you. But many, many other things, uh, largely uh, to do with property rights management, is something that we can actually outsource to Ethereum, uh, to a, a, a digital ledger that exists on the internet, and especially for our digital goods. Uh, and so certain roles and responsibilities we can actually take away from the physical nation state and add it to the digital nation state, which is you know, a, a ledger in the cloud, which is Ethereum. Um, and the best thing about you know, these digital protocols, Bitcoin, Ethereum, crypto, is that they don't have borders, right? They are on the internet. Uh, and so we have seen this trend over time of society going in from to larger and larger and larger social scaffolding structures. Um, Nick Szabo calls this social scalability. You know, it started with hunter-gatherers, moved towards like feudalism, we'd start, then moved move towards religion, then towards nation states, and now we have these crypto-economic states. Um, and so we see humans adopting more and more scalable social structures that have less and less restrictions, less and less censorship resistance, more and more credible neutrality, uh, and operate at larger and larger scales. Uh, and so the whole concept of the bankless nation is that, well, nation states used to make the money, but now the crypto economic protocols can make the money. Nation states used to account and uh, have a property rights system, and now we can uh, give that role and responsibility to the digital nation states. Um, you know, uh, physical nation states have a court of law, and uh, uh, metaverse nation states have smart contracts, right? And so some, some of the almost most significant parts of what a nation state does, uh, in my mind, Ethereum does better. And the more and more that we can allow Ethereum to do that, uh, the better, the, the larger of a uh, global civilization we can become. It, that's just it too. Is like I, I think a big um, realization for me was after I read the, the book *Sapiens*. I know we've talked about that a number of times on *Bankless* by uh, Yuval Harari, and he talked about the the major distinction between sort of you know animals and humanity is humans have the ability to share stories and coordinate. Right. That's what all of our technology allows us to do is to scale coordination. That's human beings' superpower. I mean, we're smarter than animals, but like. Not by a lot, right? Yeah. It's really when human beings kind of combine and form groups and create these shared narratives, um, the legal system as a shared narrative, an LLC, a corporation, these are shared narratives. Um, money, fiat, all shared narratives. That allows us to scale, essentially, our, uh, our civilization and our coordination endeavors. And that's what blockchain, that's what crypto is allowing us to do too. It's a new social scalability technology that we've unlocked. Um, maybe we could spend some more time contrasting this with the nation state. So there's a book I know you've told me about mm -hmm. that I haven't read yet, but um, me, I want to read it. But maybe maybe uh, <laughs> if I don't get to it, there's a lot of books on my mm -hmm. list. Give, give us the TLDR of this book. So it's called Seeing Like the State. And what's what's this book about? What's what's it saying? What were the takeaways for you after reading this thing? Yeah, the, the book is about trying to illustrate a perspective of what it is like to see like a state, uh, as in take the perspective of a nation state. If the, and this also alludes to uh, one of the articles I wrote called um, The Digital Leviathans, or straight up Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes. Thomas Hobbes illustrates the nation state as a composed body, a single body, like a, gar like a gargantuan titan, like walking the earth. Like that is a, the concept of, a, of the Leviathan. And the, the Leviathan 
it's made up of all the people of a nation state and that gives uh, power and control to like the executive branch which is like the head of the leviathan and so what is the the book seeing like a state is like okay what if you were actually the eyes of this leviathan like what if you were were the brain uh and he talks by the way before you go on before you go on david what's so interesting i think people don't think um a lot about this but the Mm -hmm. nation state is totally a human invention right right so like when did Thomas Hobbes live? Is this like 1700s? Yeah, I think he wrote this in 1781. I hope that's right. And this was kind of like the um, at the the conclusion of sort of feudalism and aristocratic type powers mm-hmm. and the beginning of the nation state era, right? 1700s, then uh, 16, 1651. 1900s. I was a little bit, uh, yeah, really early. Okay, really 1651, early. right? So right. like mm-hmm. he was an early... Uh, I guess thinker, philosopher, yeah, mm-hmm. philosopher on the nation state. But before that, like nation states didn't really exist, at least mm-hmm. not in their their present right. form. Right. Uh, and so he was using this metaphor, the Leviathan metaphor, mm-hmm. to talk about what the citizens, the body, kind of mm-hmm. giving uh, giving up some of their individual sovereignty in mm-hmm. exchange for some basic services from the nation state, right. like military, in exchange like for security. coordination property rights, the, these basic services that the nation state could give it. But there's a sacrifice involved too, right? Mm-hmm. We have to, as individuals, we have to give up some of our self-sovereignty to this, Levias- to this Leviathan so uh, it can like kind of conquer our enemies and, and help right. solve some, some major problems for us, right? Right. Yeah. And it also has its own aligned incentives with itself, which isn't necessarily aligned with the people that compose the nation state. There's a friction there. Like you have to give up some of your rights and the the Leviathan has its own desires, right? And so that has what I called in the article nation state desires. And the nation state desires are to extract as much value out of the land that it holds as possible. And so this is where it's like some of the uh, things that we all abide by on our daily lives have come from. Uh, and as a res- and nation states, if they want to extract the value out of their domain, their dominion, they need to understand what's actually in it so they can actually figure out how to extract it. Uh, and that's where some of the like these registries uh, and accounting systems that nation states have come up with uh, have best- been bestowed upon us as individuals. Uh, if you live in the United States, you have a social security number, uh, you have a telephone number, you the, the government knows where your physical address is. If you have a business, you have a business tax ID number so you know to where like where your taxes are, are going to come from. Uh, and these numbers are like the more modern versions of these of these things, but they started even earlier, according to the book, where like uh, nation state like land assessors would go out and evaluate the land of landowners and say like, hey, this land is really fertile and it can grow this much crops, um, six by six rows of uh, aspen trees for lumber. Uh, and that this land will net this amount of yield on a yearly basis. Therefore, we can tax this land this much. Uh, and it's kind of, uh, uh, if you extrapolate that out, you see like, you know, nation states form maybe on like a little settlement on some land somewhere and it grows and grows and grows and it grows into nature and it homogenizes nature. It orders nature. Nature is chaos and nation states are order and nation states need everything ordered perfectly so they can account for everything. And that's why we have gone He wants to give all the trees, all the livestock, Mm -hmm. all the animals a serial number Mm -hmm. and enter it into its centralized registry, right? Exactly. It's, It's ledger, if you will. And the more effectively you can do that, the more it can tax the land. And the more it can tax the land, the more it can fund the military. The more it can fund the military, the more powerful the nation state is. And if it's the most powerful nation state, then you get to order the whole world, 
right? Like this is an empire, like uh, a, a quest to be like a, a, an empire, right? Like maximally like, growth. That's what you mean by seeing through the eyes of the Leviathan. That's, right. that's what the Leviathan sees if you're it inhabiting that, that body of the nation state. It wants to kind of grow, colonize things. Mm -hmm. It wants to, you know, register things so that it can tax those things right. so that it can continue to grow. Right. Yeah, and th that's where I put in my article this uh, clip out of the uh, the the Matrix uh, movie where Neo is like pulling the stem out of the back of his head as he's birthed out of the Matrix, and then he looks around and he sees fields and fields and fields of humans as they are just being like sucked dry of their energy from like these robotic overlords. Like that is like the, that art, that piece of art I, I, is illustrating the same point. All of these humans have serial numbers, I'm sure. Right, yeah, like <laughs> col column number like 13, like row 34, like unit seven. Like, oh, there's well, Neo. Does, wait, doesn't, doesn't Neo, in, it's been a while since I've seen The Matrix, but I gotta like review because the new Matrix movie's coming out. I definitely wanna see that. But like, doesn't Neo have some sort of barcode on his arm as well, like in his yeah. real body? I think totally. he does. I think, I think that's right, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Okay, uh, so I, I don't think that that was on purpose by the uh, by the actual uh, director of the Matrix, but like <laughs> it's a one way like artists know what's up. Okay, so th that's what the book is saying. If mm -hmm. if you're seeing like a state, you're trying to uh, serialize everything, enter it into your registry, tax everything so you can mm -hmm. grow. Is that mm -hmm. sort of the theme of the book? What, what less, were the yeah. takeaways of that book? Is it like is this a good thing? Is this a mm -hmm. bad thing? Or is it just a a thing that nation states do? It's just a thing that nation states do. Uh, my biggest takeaway was that like. It, nation states and nature cannot live harmoniously, right? Like nation states need to impose order upon nature and nature is inherently chaotic, right? And this is why indigenous cultures of the world have, have witnessed oppression from whatever nation state like they encounter. Nation states don't like indigenous people because they're nomadic. They don't like use the local fiat currency. The value they produce is like undefined and nebulous. Uh, and so like, you know, especially inside the uh, United States, the United, the United States of America have confined its Native Americas into smaller and smaller and smaller plots of land because like we can't figure out how to account for them. Uh, and so uh, we just like give them their reservations uh, and then we just order everything around them. Uh, and this has caused a lot of strife in the world. The desires of the nation state are fundamentally misaligned with the desires of the human. Um, and the, one of the core theses of the metaverse emerges is that Ethereum as a digital rights uh, management system, a nation state in the clouds, fundamentally improves upon that misalignment between protocol and individual and allows the individual to live more harmoniously with nature because it doesn't impose nation state desires because it's a protocol. We have algorithmically removed the misaligned incentives out of a nation state by putting everything into code and saying, hey, you can't be evil anymore. Well, let's get into that in a second because I think you've uh, maybe unlocked uh, an interesting um like uh, a interesting quest there but like i, I want to ask the question do, don't you think that is 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 there some level of this is this is sort of a, a faustian bargain that humanity has made right like we are mm -hmm. seeking greater order to improve our technology to to grow further therefore we have to create order out of nature mm -hmm. uh and there are some detrimental effects in in like doing that i mean um we could have stayed as a species back in sort of agrarian societies or even prior to that like hunter gatherer societies would we be any happier i don't know that's a very difficult question to answer it's an existential mm -hmm. question but like that definitely has not been the trajectory we have moved 
in the tra trajectory of more society, more civilization, more order out of nature. And on the back of that, have developed some you know, pretty astounding things, some wonderful technology. Mm -hmm. Also invented some terrible technologies. But um, quality of life-wise, right? Um, you know, ask yourself, would you rather live today having this conversation, talking about the, the right. metaverse with all of the benefits of technology or in a hunter-gatherer society? I mean, for me, like I would not last, uh, <laughs> I would not last a week <laughs> in an ancient society, I think. But mm -hmm. yeah, what are your thoughts there? Is this just not a trade-off that, that we've had to make as a, as a species in order to achieve these advances and these unlocks? Yeah, absolutely. United, uh, United States people, humans have been making trade-offs as uh, tr technology is a trade-off, right? Like we moved from hunter-gatherers to like the agricultural world, uh, and we moved from being like upright, athletic, like you know, hunters to bending over, back-breaking like farmers. And now we all have back problems. Like our backs aren't meant to like bend over and pick stuff up. Uh, and that's and and also like grain is is as a fundamental like part of the human diet not actually the best thing that's aligned with us yet it gave us the calories that we needed to make civilization to do things like learn how to like have hospitals and like like you know uh, mend broken bones and cure cancer and like make vaccines uh, so there's always trade-offs but also technology new technologies can impose better trade-offs than old technologies uh, and so while we do are, are capable of making trade-offs that like do kind of suck we over time can iterate on improved technologies that allow us to make better and better trade-offs hey guys that was all about seeing like a state and now we are going to get into the seeing like a protocol side of this conversation which is of course the beginnings of what a metaverse is before we get there we have to take a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite dApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your dApps all in one place. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and make an overall better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with 
with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to the Arbitrum Layer 2. To keep up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter at Arbitrum and join their Discord. Okay, so now let's look through the eyes of a protocol, right? So we mm -hmm. saw through the eyes of the Leviathan and what that looks like, and you're starting to get into it. But um, what does a what does it look like to be organized by a protocol? How does the protocol see things? Isn't a protocol sort of trying to do the same thing? At some level, we've talked previously, David, about um, the analogy of Ethereum being sort of like a black hole, and it's just sucking all of this capital into it. Mm -hmm. um, Ethereum itself wants to organize the world mm -hmm. as well. It wants to serialize everything, mm -hmm. right? The whole idea in the early days when we talked about Ethereum is everything will be tokenized. This tokenize is Ethereum. the world. Yeah, tokenize the world. This is Ethereum as sort of a, a different a digital Leviathan, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is pulling all of this economic activity into its ranks. It is trying to serialize everything, give everything a like an ETH address, a contract ID, a serial number on mm -hmm. Ethereum. Uh, it wants to take your bank account and serialize that as well. Uh, what's different between the nation state and a protocol like Ethereum? Right. It, 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 go back, it goes back to what I said, is that like uh, uh, it's all these digital items. And now because they're digital, now we can start to talk about having sort of nation state in the clouds. But also it's a lack of desire for growth, right? Where the nation state, the physical nation state is a top down empire. The, the Ethereum nation state or the Ethereum neo nation, whatever you want to call these things, um, is actually an opt in nation, as in we grow it rather than it growing itself, right? So we choose to make Ethereum larger by taking our capital and putting it into Ethereum. We choose to make Ethereum larger by figuring out how to tokenize maybe real world assets or just like create new on-chain assets, right? So because Ethereum is inherently an opt-in system, like you are not born with your Ethereum address. You are not born with like your favorite NFTs. But when you are born in the nation state, you are given your social security number. You are already no like- No choice. No choice. You are I had no choice what your citizenship mm -hmm. was, right. what your social security number is. Mm -hmm. You have no choice uh, mm -hmm. about kind of the geographic limitations mm -hmm. of your physical presence. That's mm -hmm. just assigned to you at birth. Right. And so like, while Ethereum is on this same trajectory in the sense that it wants to like envelop the world, it's because we choose it to do that. It, it, we only will allow it to envelop us of what we want to be enveloped by because that is our choice because we are the people that are actually shaping Ethereum rather than like the, na the physical nation state actually shaping us. And so it's, it's, it's where the cart and the horse are in related to each other. And uh, in my mind, uh, when we, uh, have these protocols working for us rather than dictating to us how we work um we are more aligned with the world around us what's nice you know that portrait of the leviathan um mm -hmm. uh, i think it was in your article but mm -hmm. it actually has like a weapon in its mm -hmm. hand is it like a saber or something it's a sword I yeah i can't mm -hmm. remember a sword okay so it's got a sword in its hand um that really symbolizes a primary weapon that the nation state uses mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is violence the carrot right? like, oh, excuse me, the stick. He's, the stick uh, Eric Voorhees has been on, you know, talks about the times like, um, you know, the ability to throw people in cages, the ability to you know, kill an individual, the ability to take violence on an individual. Mm -hmm. That is a right that we've only given to the state. It's mm -hmm. illegal for a citizen to do any of these things to imprison another citizen, for example. But the state has this ability, has this um, license over violence. 
the nice thing about something like Ethereum, these digital nation states, is no violence. They mm-hmm. don't even have the power to instantiate violence. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst they can do is like slash you mm-hmm. for like uh, breaking a protocol uh, rule, right? And those, those which you opted are, into, by the way. You opted into. And they're fairly enforced. Mm-hmm. It's completely 100% transparent. You know exactly what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. And it's um, the collection of, of capital. So mm-hmm. it's not actual physical violence. So the protocol Leviathan, the digital nation Leviathan, has kind of a different... He, he has no sword in his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, right. He has... What he has. Maybe it's code and algorithms. Oh, no. <laughs> like, he has tokens. He has incentives. Right. Right, and so yeah, exactly. We, we take carrots. out the sword. It's all and carrots, re- no sticks. Take, exactly. Take out, take out the stick. Replace it with a carrot. Uh, when I made the, the, I made this image for the bankless DAO, and I photoshopped out the sword, and I replaced it with a bankless token. And DAOs are their only like mini leviathans, and they have the the one power that DAOs have is the ability to mint their own token, and that's the one thing that they get to do, uh, and they get to use that token as incentives, right? And so like it's incentives only, and that's why like there's in my mind going to be a lot less oppression under a metaverse world that uses opt-in incentives versus nation states which you know co- control and coerce you okay so we've gotten to the state where we've i think established what a uh, digital nation is and how a protocol sees things in a different way it still wants to coordinate still wants mm-hmm. to serialize it doesn't use violence to do that only uses incentives only uses carrots no sticks um so far we haven't really talked about the concept of of the metaverse, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, the metaverse is something that's very hard to define, right? A lot of people might define it as kind of like the entire, you know, human digital experience, like the internet is part of the metaverse. But um, in your article, you talk about objects, mm-hmm. object permanence being a key attribute that's that's required to manifest the um, the metaverse. Maybe a ledger of object permanence. Can you talk about what what you mean by that and how crypto fits into that? So we created digital scarcity with crypto. That's what that's what Bitcoin created. Um, and it that's not actually enough to create the metaverse because BTC and, and ETH and, and fungible currencies are the, the fungibility doesn't allow for unique objects to form because these because they're fungible like if you have two two dollars well or two single dollar bills we actually have two dollars right that's the one thing that you have um and so like the fungible nature of currencies can't allow for digital objects and when we talk about the metaverse we're talking about a version of a universe that behaves like our physical world and so we need uh you know non-fungible assets and there's no like no surprise that like this whole metaverse phenomenon is coming on the heels of like the two nft manias that we've seen over the last year or so nfts or non whatever non-fungible tokens can represent digital objects that can actually interact with each other. And that's really, really important. In the same way that like, I have these two objects here, I've got a coffee mug and my phone, and in the physical world, they collide, right? If they were fungible, the atoms in the, these objects would just like mesh. They would just come and form like a, a, a blob. They would just come together. But since they're separate, each one is like, you know, unique. Each item I have is non-fungible. Now that we have non-fungible objects in quote unquote the metaverse on the Ethereum ledger, we can have objects that collide. Uh, and so like I have a, a handful of ERC 721 items in my wallet. They're in the same place. Like in my wallet, 
is like my Ethereum wallet is like my Ethereum address, like my, but in the same way that like my nation say address, my, my home address is my address. My Ethereum address is like, oh, these objects are in the same spot. They're owned by the same individual at the same address, at the same location. Uh, and uh, so these objects are allowed to collide, right? And so these objects in on Ethereum, these ERC-721 tokens are going from address to address to address, interacting with each other. Uh, and that is kind of the, the very bare bones of what creates a metaverse that goes from just, just having internet currencies and, uh, and an internet ledger into having an actual metaverse. That is what unlocks the metaverse, is having digital objects with digital properties that are able to in interact and collide with other digital pro objects and their digital properties. So you, you, made, you had this line, I think, in the, the article, the metaverse, you said, is the shared registry of metaversal objects, which is kind of a, a, def, a different definition than I've, than I've heard before, right? So most definitions of the metaverse are somewhat like vague, right? Like mm -hmm. we don't really know what exactly they mean, but you think this shared registry is really important and this idea of object permanence with like registered items is very important. Can, can you get like, talk about that a bit more and uh, can you get a bit more concrete in terms of like what you actually mean? So when people, I think the clearest um, representation of maybe the metaverse is like the Ready Player One movie right. where mm -hmm. we all put on our VR goggles and we're in some completely right. digital world surrounded by digital objects and um, you know digital avatars and all of these things. Um, is that what you mean when you're talking about the the metaverse is just having something like ethereum be the the registry the property rights layer of all of those digital things or uh, help us understand this sure yeah it is really important that there is a single shared state of truth uh and this alludes to like um kind of uh they're kind of needing to be one uh, one single shared state of truth right like we have a lot of conversations about like all these different blockchains out there each blockchain offers its own metaverse, but the objects in one blockchain, one L1, can't go on to a second L1 because they are operate on different codes. They are on different protocols and those objects can't interact. And so objects on Ethereum, because they're all on Ethereum, they can interact. And Ethereum having the most like, you know, diverse and rich landscape of non-fungible tokens is kind of where, why we're talking about Ethereum. It is where all the tokens uh, lie. Uh, and now you talked about like the Ready Player One. Now imagine, and we just came out of this whole like loot phenomenon thing, right? Where loot tokens are these tokens with eight properties in them. And now people are making like websites that you can load up your loot bag with all of the eight items inside of it. And then a character emerges on that website holding like your scimitar and your chest plate and your boots and your robes or whatever. And so like now that these tokens actually have properties, uh, they can be bestowed upon a character on a website and then that character can go and interact in like whatever world is created on this website based on the properties that they have. Right. And so like, say there's this website that has this game and like, you know, in order to get to like level two, you need to be an owner of a, a scimitar. Like that's what unlocks level two. And this portion of the metaverse can understand and acknowledge the existence of an object that is inside of your Ethereum address and then change the state of the, of the world based on the objects that you have. And that is kind of the early primitive of the metaverse. And so like, if we're talking about like a Ready Player One, say so we have like this massively successful ecosystem and like you can have like, may maybe you have a digital car 
and it's inside of your digital house. And like you have your digital CryptoPunk as your avatar. So you have your CryptoPunk in your car, in your house, and all these objects are assigned to you because you own them, because you own the private keys that owns the address at which they are, at which they lay. And so now, now that all of these objects exist inside the same plane of existence, which is the same shared state of truth, all of these objects can relate to each other and we can actually recreate the properties of the physical world in the digital world, which is what the metaverse is. Okay, so uh, a, qu a question there, right? So what, what we're talking about is really a digital registry of objects, mm -hmm. okay? Um, but you can have that in two forms. So you can have that in the form of a, a centralized mm -hmm. database registry of objects, or you can have that in the form of something like Ethereum, which mm -hmm. tries to preserve um, decentralization, censorship resistance, you know, immutability. No one can arbitrarily change the rules on you. Do you think that there is going to be a place for a centralized registry of objects that exist alongside of something like Ethereum, which is sort of a decentralized um, registry of of these metaverse objects mm -hmm. will they will they kind of coexist are there some cases where decentralized is, is needed are there some other cases where centralized is needed yeah and this gets into like people's loosely defined ideas of what the metaverse is when people say the metaverse like just think of this ready player one thing um, but like I think what's what people are coming to understand is the metaverse is going to be uh, it's not going to be one central place. Uh, and so while there can be like central databases that have, um, you know, a central registry of objects, if that, if that database is siloed from Ethereum, then we just have like the World of Warcraft database or the Fortnite database. And that's what we already or, have. Or the US government database or, you know, the, sure. the China digital property management database, totally. right, for example. Totally, right. As soon as these centralized databases become more interoperable with Ethereum. And honestly, that's what rollups are for. Because what is a rollup? Like Arbitrum, I'm pretty sure this is right, has a centralized sequencer, right? And so, you know, um, Fortnite can spin up their uh, fork of Arbitrum, have a centralized database of which they control. Then you can play your shooty shooty Fortnite game, come out winning an item. And then you can take that item back to Ethereum. And that's what creates it, the metaverse. Your ability to take that item away from one part of the metaverse and then take it to another part of the metaverse. And so there are like two um, domains in Ethereum right now that, that I'll bring up. One is Axie Infinity. The other one is Gods Unchained. The tokens in these parts of the metaverse, and the reason why they're part of the metaverse is because they're on Ethereum, do not interact with each other but they can value can flow from one to the other, right? So you can play your Axie Infinity games, make a bunch of money, take it over through Ethereum, through the liquidity layer of DeFi, and then take that over to Gods Unchained. And then you can, the state of the games that you played on Axie Infinity can actually allow you to buy other cards on Gods Unchained. We can take this even a step further where like, maybe for some whatever reason, Axie Infinity and Gauss and Chain decide to collaborate and they actually acknowledge the same tokens. And so like you have a token that works in Axie Infinity that gives your Axie character some item, some gift, and then you can take that same token over to like Gauss Unchained and it also impacts the way that you play that game over there. And so now this is where that shared state, that shared registry of items becomes really, really important because it allows 
any ecosystem which wants to freely and openly plug into Ethereum to answer to the same registry of objects. And so we can all acknowledge these objects that we all share together and have the metaverse acknowledge them rather than like having a central metaverse. We have the metaverse just opt into acknowledging all of these digital assets. I guess um, blending a couple of other thoughts that we've talked about on on Bankless um, into this a little bit, like maybe there's there's two concepts that that kind of come to mind, right? Because so my take on this, David, is that we will have like centralized registries of property, as well as like these decentralized registers of property, settlement layers of property. Um, but the decentralized ones will essentially accrue the highest amount of economic value because these are the most you know trustless layers for us so if you get to a situation where let's say china had a digital property management system and the us had a digital property management system right and those two countries for whatever reason no longer trusted one another you know broke some treaties something right. bad happened right then how do you arbitrate those disputes well you've got this intranational thing that's outside of the purview of the nation state called Ethereum, where you can settle higher stakes disputes. It's more credibly neutral. Either China or the US can use the same system and be treated in a fair way because neither of those two countries own the system, right? So one concept we've talked about um, before is the protocol sync thesis, where basically the most credibly neutral legitimate, most decentralized settlement layers, property settlement layers, kind of start to sink to the bottom and form the basis. They are, they are the most dense material and other more centralized, I guess, property management systems um, rest on top of these things. And so then you also get, if, to the extent that becomes true, then you also get another like concept that, that comes in here, which is like the concept of economic density, right? Mm -hmm. Where one trade-off for decentralization is um, like lower throughput, um, fewer transactions per second, right? You know, things like Ethereum are scaling, but they're never going to scale at the rate something like Amazon Web Services does mm -hmm. in a centralized way, right? So like it'll always be a fraction of the scalability of a centralized service. But, but like what you can do when you preserve you know, the trust. Uh, trustless nature of something like Ethereum, the trust guarantees, is you can settle very high stakes economic transactions. And so what we'll probably see is for every single transaction on something like Ethereum or even even a rollup, um, more and more value will be like compressed into that transaction space. So if the average transaction like today on Ethereum is, you know, $10 uh, in an Ethereum transaction, right? Like maybe 10 years from now, maybe you know, 30 years from now, maybe that'll be like millions of dollars, maybe billions of dollars. Maybe it'll be the entire economic activity of a roll-up, which is like an entire nation-state GDP rolled up into economic transactions on Ethereum. So do these two ideas fit into what you're talking about as we, as we think about like decentralization versus centralization, the idea of protocol sync? the idea of uh, economic density and you know collapsing toward the most trustless layer. Yeah, and we can see that play out in the current NFT markets uh, right now. But I'll, I'll start with credible neutrality. Uh, and, and that's why Ethereum has had such a strong emphasis on credible neutrality and, and the crypto space as a whole, and why 
um, projects in the space that um, sacrifice credible neutrality don't see the adoption that they do. And I think people have in the back of, my, of their minds that like when you sacrifice credible neutrality, you sacrifice like almost the entire metaverse, right? Because it has to be an open source software that open that is the metaverse is built on because we no one wants the metaverse by facebook right i'm sure it'll be like really fun and easy to use but like it'll also be just like a complete dystopia and, and top-down control we have to have fair rules right fair we rules. have to have right. the, the um i mean de decentralization to me is like an anti-corruption technology right, right? Mm -hmm. and facebook is very corruptible all you have right. to do is know one person right. has majority uh maj majority shareholder rule over over Facebook and mm -hmm. you can corrupt that entire system, right? right. So anti-corruption technology has to be at the root of these things. Right, and that's why Bitcoiners are all like very, very strong about like, don't change the rules of the system. You can't change the rules. Uh, and if you change the rules, then then like the, the whole idea about Bitcoin is that it's, it offers very, very strong foundations. Ethereum has those same principles. Like we need to figure out the best way to make the long-term sustainable foundations. And once we do, we make those foundations rock solid. And free open the ethos of free open source software on Ethereum is I think one of the reasons why the metaverse will Will emerge on Ethereum, A, because it adheres to the credible neutrality of, of the whole entire system. It's also Turing complete, which you have to have Turing completeness in order to, to build the metaverse. Um, and like the combination of those two things, like foundations that don't shift, permissionless building upon a shared state of truth, uh, and, uh, and inherent credible neutrality in the whole entire system, those are the ingredients for what creates a metaverse. And that goes back to what I was saying, where like the metaverse won't actually be one thing it'll be rendered at the periphery, as in like the metaverse will look different based off what part of the metaverse you're on. Are you in the Fortnite metaverse? Are you in the Axie Infinity metaverse? Maybe you're in the, the Zoom chat metaverse. But so long as like the, uh, and it can be built as as needed by like by local servers, local centralized server, servers, so long as the valuable things that are in the metaverse are adhering to the concept of what you were saying, economic density. And where the valuable things, so long as the valuable things adhere to credible neutrality, the periphery of the metaverse can be rendered however it doesn't, doesn't matter. Like if a GPU crashes, it doesn't like, you know, mess up your objects. So let's say you have like, uh, you know, $50,000 loot robes. I have no mm -hmm. idea how much these will cost in the future, of course. Um, you, there, you have no problem bringing those into a, a virtual universe like a world of warcraft or, right. or something to that effect um mm -hmm. because you still own that object but it's fine if the universe you visit world of warcraft like everything else is, mm -hmm. is centralized so long mm -hmm. as your you know Items. your fifty thousand dollar item <laughs> mm -hmm. does not rest on blizzard entertainment and and their sh shareholders and kind of that as its property settlement layer that's what you're saying right that, that's exactly right that's exactly right so David, like all of this transformation, uh, you know, maybe we're in the metaverse like right now, or we're on our way toward the metaverse. Maybe um, crypto is kind of the like the opening shot of um, the metaverse and how we'll describe it in future generations. But like everything you're talking about, how long is this going to take before we're fully inside these virtual? you know, worlds, do you think in like five years time in 10 years time, we're going to be inside of these? Or do you think it's going to be so gradual that we just like won't even notice? Right. So in the article, one of the things I wrote is that um, 
There will not be a specific genesis moment or location, but rather the metaverse will slowly manifest all around us. The metaverse will be a composable universe whose objects are shared and interactive. Uh, and so like the genesis moment of the metaverse, was that like the internet, the internet itself? Was that the first moment of the metaverse? Or like, but like when did the internet actually even come about? Was it when two computers connected? Was that the first moment of the internet? Or like, huh. was it when like Bitcoin was, was the first Bitcoin block was mined? Was that the genesis moment of the internet? Was it when the first NFT on Ethereum was minted? Like, when does it actually begin? Uh, and so like, to answer your question, the metaverse exists already. Uh, no one knows when or how it started. Uh, I think we can all agree that like it's in its very, very nascent form, um, but like it's becoming more and more real uh, as more and more technologies answer to a single shared source of truth of objects. It becomes more and more real. And I, I think your question implies like, when is the metaverse gonna be here? I think like everyone in their mind is goes back to that Ready Player One, like when can I put on my VR goggles and like, yeah, yeah, exist, yeah. exist in an alternative universe? Yeah, uh, I, that's I mean, what people mean when they ask that. Right. So like, I mean, at that point, we have to go talk to VR experts and say like, hey, when is this going to be ready? When, are, when is there's going to be an MMORPG inside of VR that also answers to objects that I have on my Ethereum address? And like, I'm on Kathy Wood's side of things in the sense that like the future is coming way faster than people think it is. And the, the best thing about the metaverse is that it has an inherent financial incentive to build it. Uh, everyone, there's financial rewards to building it. And that's why this NFT mania has happened so quickly. Uh, and, and so like the financial compensation for helping this come about is absolutely massive. Uh, and there are definitely teams who are working on video games that are digitally asset powered. Uh, and I, I think, I don't know, I'm gonna go ahead and say like, there's going to be asset powered VR games in, within five years. But maybe like maybe to your point, the whole VR thing is a distraction, right? We're, we're all looking towards like eventually it's going to be Ready Player One and mm -hmm. then that's the metaverse right. and that's when the, the whole thing starts. But like if you just measure as a proxy the amount of time um, over your lifetime that you have transitioned from spending it on like analog things, real world things versus like digital things. Mm -hmm. um, I bet you'd notice a, a, just a massive increase, right? Like mm -hmm. the time you spent in front of a, a screen, for right. instance, is one measure. Has mm -hmm. that gone up or down <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like throughout your life, right? Is you to the point where like people don't even go to the bathroom without like having a screen like <laughs> really close to them. You know what I mean? Like it's just, we're always on screens. And so that's one measure. And how about like your economic activity? Mm -hmm. what, are you, what are you actually producing? Well, like, We've gone from a, a society that has actually like produced real concrete things and spending our time doing that sort of labor to like all of my output is is completely digital, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, we talk about communication, how that's transitioned. I mean, when's the last time you wrote a letter to somebody, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, but all of our communication, we, I communicate more than I ever have, um, and to to more people than I ever have, but like. The proportion of that that's turned digital it's mm -hmm. like 99 percent now what about right? what about your financial portfolio is that nation exactly. state bound or how much of that is non-nation state bound and actually on ethereum instead well that's another flipping right? right and it's like um nation state bound versus like not nation state bound is is one dimension but like if we just talk about digital mm -hmm. right man it's already digitized right i i just like i keep a 20 dollar bill on me 
in, in like in my pocket just in case somebody needs cash for something, right? But like every once in a while, but um, actual like physical dollars, fiat currency, I almost never use anymore and I haven't for a long time, right? So like this is the trajectory. Everything is becoming more and more digital. And so we probably won't even notice as we enter the metaverse. There are definitely these milestones, right? Like birth of the internet, birth of digital scarcity in crypto, just like creation of like the first NFTs and tokens. But, uh, you know, maybe the mobile phone is is definitely another you know piece of that puzzle. But like, I don't know if we'll really notice as mm-hmm. we as we enter and as we tra- transition, right. unless we look across like decades and kind mm-hmm. of measure how we're spending our time and our what are, where our outputs are going. Well, the probably the thing that we're going to notice the most is that like our kids are way more into the metaverse than we are. It's like <laughs> they they found corners of the metaverse we didn't even know existed, and like that's kind of when we'll really know. It's like oh yeah, it's for sure here. Yeah. Absolutely, for sure. Well, David, we've got some more things to cover. I want to talk to you a bit more about um, identity and how identity can be a metaversal object uh, and also talk a bit more about items. Maybe we'll hit on the loot phenomenon. And we got to end by talking about um, Ethereum, what this means for Ethereum and ETH as an asset. As I said at the outset, the metaverse is another way of looking at what Ethereum is actually going to accomplish, what it's going to do in the world. So we'll link that in. Guys, before we do, we need to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you're getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commissions. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy-to-use platform. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on-chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades, and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp, so you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a UniGrant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. 
All right, guys, we are back. Uh, David, man, we're talking all about the metaverse, how it emerges, what it's going to look like. Um, and talking about how we would transition into the metaverse. I think one thing, if you watch like Ready Player One or something like this, um, you see this concept of an avatar where you know individual might be you know a certain way in their, their physical life, but they actually get to select their own identity in the metaverse and be sort of a, a different character, a different person. Uh, I think this this concept of identity in the in the metaverse has some implications. So what what are your thoughts on this, uh, and what did you write about it? Is this one of the objects that need to manifest and have permanence? Is an individual's identity? Yeah, and. I think this is actually useful if we back up and, and go back to the nation state concept of identity just to set the stage once again. Um, if you pull out your ID on your like like nation state driver's license or ID card, like it has your physical properties on it because your physical properties are really, really good for identifying who you are. So like your skin like color. age, height. Weight. Age, height, weight, eye color, skin color, like gender. Uh, and then, so this is the name, like, this is just your physical form, right? These are, and you, you right. can't change these things. And that's why, like, the, it's a representation of your actual DNA. Ethereum doesn't know, nor does it care about any of these things. It doesn't care mm -hmm. about the physical manifestation of your body. It just cares that you are an actual individual. Uh, and so after that, uh, you can kind of become anything on Ethereum, right? You can actually lose connection with your physical form and choose to manifest yourself on in the metaverse, however way you see fit. Um, and this actually kind of goes into the same kind of concept of like mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness meditation is about learning to discover the entity inside of the body, inside of the mind, that's actually separate from the, the, from the body itself. So when you go and look at the in the mirror, you see your reflection, but that's not actually you. That's just your body. You are something else. And on Ethereum, it doesn't care about your body. It only cares about you. And so with, with Ethereum, and then like this definitely gets started with like the NFT avatar movement, but it go, I definitely think it gets more rich and, and di diverse from there. You can pick a re representation of yourself that you actually feel on the inside. Like, and so like when I was perusing for my CryptoPunks, I was scrolling through properties of CryptoPunks that I resonate with, right? I didn't pick the CryptoPunk that smokes cigarettes because I don't smoke cigarettes. Uh, I picked the CryptoPunk with a hat because I thought it looked cool. I actually don't even wear hats. I just thought the hat looked cool. Uh, so I guess my metaverse version of myself does wear a hat and, and it can get even crazier than that. Like you don't have to actually carry any, any of the properties of your body into the metaverse. It can be a complete blank slate of identity on Ethereum, and you can use these NFTs, these uh, ERC-721s, as representations of who you are. And it also, importantly, doesn't actually have to be a profile picture NFT. Like, it doesn't have to be a penguin. It doesn't have to be a CryptoPunk. All identity on Ethereum is, is specifically ERC-721s located inside of a specific Ethereum address. That's all identity is. Even if it's just Fidenzas or like art blocks, one of ones, um, any sort of NFT distinct from ERC-20 uh, tokens, right? Because like if I have an, a wallet with like MKR, ETH and UNI tokens in it, there's like 10,000 other wallets out there that have that same permutations of ERC-20 uh, tokens. But when it comes to ERC-721s, 
that's how you actually make a unique address on Ethereum by having unique tokens represented inside of that unique address. And so by curating a collection of ERC-721s, which represents your taste because these things are unique and therefore culturally significant, you can actually dictate your taste out to the rest of the world. And so it's kind of like a black box of like, we don't know who the person is, but we can see their taste, their digital representation of their unique assets in their Ethereum wallet. And maybe one of them is a profile picture NFT, but like really at, according to Ethereum, there is no difference between a profile picture NFT and like an art block. They're just ERC 721s. It's when humans view these things that actually bestows like an identity layer on these things. All right, so this Ethereum address has like three Fidenzas and an Ether rock. They don't own any profile picture NFTs, but they're clearly uh, somebody that really likes high status uh, NFTs. This person only has like a single pudgy penguin. Uh, that's that's who they are. Uh, and so these entities, we can, they, while they can't actually, the, the, like the spirit of a human can't actually be on the blockchain, like it can instead choose ERC 721s to actually manifest itself on the blockchain. It's so interesting, right? Because like this idea of avatar is far older than Ethereum, right? It's like mm -hmm. any chat room you enter, like even on Twitter, um, you can create an avatar based on any JPEG, any image that, that you can find, and it's all free. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about what, what you're saying, this idea of object permanence is, of course, like NFTs aren't free. Um, they are unique and they have some economic value associated with them. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned um, the term signaling, mm. right? And because of that tie to economic value that's associated with them, because of this like ability to, to select and, and trade, and because these avatars actually cost something, they send a completely different social signal than a free piece of clip art that you might find somewhere mm -hmm. on the internet and that anybody mm -hmm. can can replicate. And that's not verified in the Ethereum registry. And I, I almost wonder if it's like these kind of like social signaling dynamics that mm -hmm. are key to mm -hmm. instantiating the metaverse as sort of a more organic type of structure and why we haven't, what, why crypto is going to um, foster its emergence you remember that conversation um we had about uh, mimetic desire mm -hmm. right like you can't really get mimesis mimetic desire the, the the desire to copy another human being for a free piece of you know clip art that doesn't right. have any digital scarcity but you can mm -hmm. when you see something like a, a crypto punk and you're like wow right. that's a, what flashing that crypto punk mm -hmm. that like means something and so i wonder if the 721, the ERC 721 helps to instantiate these sort of like basic human like needs and desires mm -hmm. and social signal and creates like um, the status hierarchy, I guess, that we, we have in the real world and we see without even knowing it and it replicates that into the digital. Because th that's what I've been thinking mm -hmm. of as you're talking about. Like what's the difference between a, an avatar that you have to pay for that's registered mm -hmm. to Ethereum and like a random piece of right. like clip art? I mean, you could be a, you know, a, uh, I don't know, a sausage if you want in your avatar for free, <laughs> like, or like a, you know, a peanut, human peanut or something. You could be a frog, you'd be whatever you want, not have to pay it. What's the significance of the ERC 721? Yeah, I, I think really the answer is that, and you touched on a really important point where like you have to actually pay for these things. Uh, and 
when you pay for something, you are signaling to the rest of the world that you value that. And when someone takes a peek into your wallet and they see all these 721s, they are getting, are getting a glimpse of what you value. And so what is your identity other than what you value? What we value kind of impacts who we are. And so like, it's a very pure form of like, okay, this individual really values these things, these NFTs, and these NFTs have these properties. Maybe one's a CryptoPunk, maybe an NFT is like a credit for like donating towards some charity or some public goods. And that is indicating who you are. So going back to like removing like the meat space atoms and DNA up, up, around a soul, when you, a soul, a spirit like chooses NFTs to represent them, they are choosing to communicate who and what they value to the Ethereum community, to the Ethereum, like to the Ethereum blockchain. And so you take a peek at their portfolio, their NFT portfolio, you're, you're taking a peek into their values, what they choose to value. Um, and I think there's also something to say about just like how, like the color of your skin or like your background, the country you came from, uh, so much of society, unfortunately, bestows values upon accidental properties, like the color of your skin, that that does not work in the in the world in the in the metaverse, right? Like just because like uh, white people have like an accidental positive bias, like that actually doesn't translate over to the metaverse because that doesn't work. You're you don't have a white colored skin uh, Ethereum address, and so we are actually able to rid get rid of our biases that aren't actually communicating anything of value. And instead we get to bestow our Ethereum address with things that we actually value that actually do communicate to the world what we value. Yeah, th that's interesting. And that's, uh, that's definitely a very hopeful explanation. I, I do also wonder if we'll like just create new biases sure. in the process, right? Uh, maybe some of these biases will be based on like wealth and capital. Mm -hmm. And so, wow, you have a CryptoPunk? What, what does this mean about um, <laughs> yeah. this person as an individual? Definitely, it, it means that uh, they're, they're wealthier mm -hmm. than the average individual for sure. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I guess it's super emergent. I guess maybe what, what's interesting about it too is we just found a way to replicate the social signaling that we have in the real world mm -hmm. now in the metaverse and in, in the digital world. We haven't had the ability to do that before. And I think that is, uh, that is definitely a meaningful milestone in humanity's transition from the analog world to the metaverse for sure. Um, let's talk about this. Oh, you, you want to say something on that? Yeah. So there, there's also the topic of just like, you can actually have more than one identity. You can spin up multiple Ethereum addresses and like each have True. them represent different sides of yourself, which is something that you can't do in the physical world. Like you can't put on a new face. And like, I'm reminded of our uh, podcast with Josh Rosenthal about the crypto renaissance, where like in, in the renaissance, we had pre-renaissance, we had these like planar 2D profile versions of art. And then after the renaissance, we had these 3D photorealistic versions of art. And I kind of think there's going to be a similar paradigm shift with identity, because not only can we choose our identity by choosing what represents us, but we can choose what represents us at different times. So like I've gone back and forth between my CryptoPunk avatar and my Pudgy Penguin avatar and my Cool Cat avatar, just how I, how I feel, like what is my mood today? And I can like create a digital identity for myself that is more aligned with my current state of mood, 
or, or context of what I want to be in, right? And so like, maybe I choose one Ethereum wallet, which has no association with another Ethereum wallet to represent me for my professional business ongoings and like the suit and tie, David, or I'm like in video game mode and I want my CryptoPunk on. Uh, and so I'll choose that identity. And so like having a fluid identity where we actually aren't fixed into one specific version of ourselves, I think is going to like be a, a zero to one moment in the world of actual like identity. And back to Ethereum's role in all of this, it's to to serialize all of these objects, right? So mm -hmm. we, we, you're talking about loot earlier and serializing all of the, the items and objects, but it's also going to uh, serialize all of the identities as well, including if an individual has kind of multiple identities that they want to portray, in addition to serializing all of the assets. So maybe we get to kind of the, the final discussion point here, David, which is um, how Ethereum fits into the the mix here as a as a system and you mm -hmm. called it the economic foundation for the metaverse um, you said a metaverse requires at least three things number one an asset registry number two a layer of financial applications a banking layer and number three an epic an economic engine and you say that's what ethereum is it's a registry of tokens it's a composition of DeFi applications it's a native money an economic system, and when you compose it together, it becomes essentially the economic foundation of the metaverse. Can you get into that in a bit more? Uh, like, how important is Ethereum to this whole mm -hmm. emergence of the metaverse? Is it is it the core thing? Is this what's going to cause it? I, I think so. Um... The, and with the current state of the metaverse and Ethereum, we, going back to like what I was talking about with like we have the Axie Infinity realm of the metaverse and we have the um, Gods Unchained realm of the metaverse. These are dis disparate, discrete, separated parts of the metaverse, but what connects them is their underlying association to Ethereum. So like I said, you can go and do a bunch of gaming in Axie Infinity, make a bunch of money, pull it out, and take it over to Gauss Unchained. But when I say take it over to Gauss Unchained, like you got to sell your Axie you know, like, uh, money, your uh, smooth love potions or your Axies, and you sell them using DeFi, DeFi applications, using the financial banking layer. And then you can translate that value into Gauss Unchained tokens, Gauss Unchained cards. And so it's this underlying financial layer. And no wonder why DeFi came first in the progress of Ethereum before NFTs is because you have to build objects on top of financial applications uh, because that's how we value the objects. And so DeFi is like this early financial primitive, this financial backbone that allows the metaverse to be built on top of it. And so more and more realms of the metaverse will just get appended onto Ethereum because Ethereum is a permissionless open source piece of software. And so different areas of the metaverse will be built. And before we figure out how to make assets seamless in all of them, they will be made seamless by their integrations into DeFi. So DeFi will be the coupler, the initial coupler behind all of these separate parts of the universe where like maybe the tokens aren't interoperable, but the value is. And so labor can actually get translated from one part of the metaverse to another using DeFi. And of course that is uh, facilitated by Ethereum's economic engine, proof of stake, and also uh, EIP-1559. Uh, and that supports the financialization of so many different things and all the, and the tokens in the financial layer. And then that is what then creates the ability to have a metaverse on top of those things. And so ultimately everything collapses down 
deeper and deeper towards, again, the protocol sync. Got the NFTs and the metaverse on the top, got the DeFi in the middle, got the Ethereum L1 at the bottom. And that's why Ethereum has always been so focused on security, security, security. Like we are going to secure the whole entire metaverse. And so no, like we can't have proof of work. We can't have wasteful electricity spending. It has to be the most secure uh, consensus protocol possible because think of how incredibly valuable the metaverse is going to become. We have to optimize for security. Uh, and that is why so much, so many of the developers of, of the Ethereum protocol, when they are working, they are working to make the strongest economic foundations for the metaverse possible. And that has been like the Ethereum R&D effort over the last like six years. I, I really feel like um, Ethereum as an economic economic engine for the metaverse is going to be a narrative that takes hold, uh, not mm -hmm. this year, maybe not next year, but definitely in the years to come. We were a bit early on some of the other Ethereum narratives like, you know, ETH is money, mm -hmm. uh, DeFi, all of these things. I really do feel like the metaverse is going to be sort of the next unfolding as people recognize that this is the property rights and settlement layer and economic engine of the metaverse uh, that we're creating here. and. God, how much value is going to be you know, poured into the metaverse in the coming years? Uh, so I guess listeners, like, prepare yourselves. Um, one other thing, as we, as we talk about this, David, uh, this kind of comes full circle as well to our concept of, of the nation state. Remember, we established that the nation state earlier is an entity that likes to serialize things, likes to serialize objects and individuals and people and identities and all of these things. Uh, in order to collect taxes, in order to grow. Um, what's interesting here is um, I see a similar dynamic with Ethereum. So mm -hmm. it's serializing all of these things uh, in order to collect taxes, in order to grow. Now, we don't often call uh, gas fees taxes, but um, we have on Bankless before. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's kind of an interesting model to think of all of the network fees, all the transaction you fee fees you pay for, on a chain on ethereum are actually taxes mm -hmm. these are taxes on the uh, objects themselves and these are um i guess uh utility taxes right excise taxes so like when you spend something when you do a transaction you have to like pay the pay the toll um so it's it's kind of a consumption based uh tax um but also with eip 1559 some of this transaction fee gets burnt and gets sent to who anybody effectively that owns ETH uh, in the form of reverse dilution. It's almost mm -hmm. like sort of a, a dividend, if you will, only it's, it's kind of burnt to any ETH holder. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Do, do you see this relationship between um, the nation state and taxes and Ethereum in taxes in how it charges for its gas fees? Yeah, totally. Uh, and when EIP-1559 came out and I wrote that article, the final puzzle piece of Ethereum's monetary policy, that is exactly how like we, we illustrated it, is that these are how Ethereum collects taxes. All economies need to have some sort of value capture mechanism in order to secure itself. Um, it just so happens that nation states don't have a stop for that. And so nation states are like, oh, we, collect, we need to collect taxes so we can fund the military, but we can collect more. And then after that, we can collect even more. And after that, we can collect even more. But Ethereum- oh, by the way, we've got these other hidden taxes called inflation. <laughs> inflation, like right. Issuance. We can just increase the supply and not even tell you about the tax. Right, totally. Um, Ethereum, on the other hand, it taxes you based off of your consumption of a public good. It is a pay per use. It doesn't tax you if you're not using it. Uh, and so like, Ethereum has a public good. It's called block space. We can't have too much of it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be decentralized. Um, and 
in order to uh, use this block space, you must pay the, the, the going rate as determined by the market, which is the same rate that everyone else is paying at that one moment. But it isn't, it's inherently fair, incredibly neutral, because you aren't paying, you're, you are by definition paying your fair share. Uh, and so like it's in my mind, it's a, it's a very elegant mechanism. And you also talked about like what happens when all of these objects in the metaverse um, objects is actually uh, I have very limiting uh, coding knowledge, but I do know that objects is a code relevant term. That is a technical term in the, in the world of code. When you like, I heard hear the coder say something like something has state, basically. Right, something has state. Like you grab an object uh, mm -hmm. on, on Ethereum. Now that we have all these objects, and like we said, the metaverse is a shared state of objects, and importantly, that shared state allows objects to collide and interact. Right, so like my 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 uh, armor also like has properties that might help out my sword in like World of Warcraft. And these objects interact. When objects and like objects on Ethereum, they have like a contract calls. You can call an object. And that means that two objects are just colliding. And when the metaverse has tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions, hundreds of billions of objects floating around in the metaverse, A, that each one has its own serial number because each one had to be like manifested in Ethereum by a transaction. But now every time an object collides with another object, that is also another transaction on Ethereum. It's likely going to be on a roll-up. That's what roll-ups are for. Um, but like all of this economic activity, this vibrancy of objects interacting with objects, interacting with objects, creates an economic engine. It is the it is the heat of the economy. And then EIP-1559 captures a portion of that heat to recycle it into the Ethereum economy to make sure it's secure, make sure it's going, make sure the engine is fluid. Uh, and that is uh, that is the model of the metaverse. And that is, in my mind, really, really bullish. It's really bullish. Look, man, <laughs> I, I, it, it, it's so cool. I mean, so like, um, I guess maybe the, the the last piece to talk about before we get to sort of you know summing this up and concluding this is we've talked about Ethereum as sort of the you know economic engine for the metaverse, and we've always differentiated Ethereum as a network uh, from Ether as an asset, Ether as a money that uh, is you know an asset within that system, within that, within that network. And so why not talk about the ramifications of ETH? Uh, at the outset, we talked about the, the different narratives of ETH over the years. It starts as ICO money, then it becomes like DeFi money. Uh, more recently, it's been NFT money, the, you know, reserve currency for NFTs. And now maybe this, this new narrative moving forward, this new use case is for ETH to become metaverse money. What's so interesting about Ethereum as a digital nation, uh, as opposed to like real nation states, is all of the taxes that it collects. There's no nation state on Earth that actually like burns a portion of the tax revenue and returns it to citizens in the form of um, reduced supply, right? Mm -hmm. But with a crypto economic system where you don't have to pay for like an expensive military and massive bureaucracy and people in offices and buildings and all of these things, you actually can operate much more efficiently. And so with EIP-1559, of course, whenever any of that economic activity happens, uh, the taxes are collected and a huge portion of those taxes are actually burnt and passed back to the citizens or the, the I guess, one form of citizens, anyone who owns ETH. Uh, well, almost everyone must holdings. own ETH, right? In order to exist in the metaverse, you have to do anything. You have to own a little bit of ETH at the very least. And this is kind of the, I guess, the bull case back to uh, Ether as an asset. Um, I want to ask you about this. So 
is there the possibility that ETH as an asset becomes kind of the the trifecta money for the metaverse, a medium of exchange, a store of value, and a unit of account, and becomes sort of a, a reserve asset for the metaverse? What's what's your take there, and what would that mean for ETH as an asset in the future? Yeah, whether or not it's a medium of exchange, I think is up for debate. I think Ether as an asset uh, is fundamentally going to be a very low velocity token. Um, I do think there's going to be higher velocity tokens on top of Ether that use Ether as collateral. Um, Rye comes to mind uh, if we want to talk about like non-state level currencies. But even Rye actually is kind of collateral optimized. Um, but other than that, like uh, Ether is going to be like your collateral in applications inside of the metaverse, inside of games. It's going to be how you actually engage with uh, games when there are applications on rollups that don't require ETH that you do a bunch of economic activity. Well, by proxy, that rollup is using Ether for you every time it makes a transaction to the L1. And we've been talking about this uh, lately ever since we had our interview with Arbitrum is like, we kind of think that rollups are going to be the biggest ETH burners, right? So all of these rollups are going to have a ton of economic activity on top of them, and then they're going to collapse them down to a single transaction and then put that transaction on the Ethereum main chain. And that transaction will be a big bundle of transactions and that will burn a lot of ETH. Uh, and so like, it's just, it, like ether has like brute forced itself into uh into a massive bullishness by utility and like when ether can do anything in the metaverse by nature of what it is having so much in utility means it can do anything it can be a medium exchange if you want it to it can be your collateral in your metaverse if you want it to it can do anything the the, the other thing as well is um if the metaverse does emerge in the way that we've been talking about today, right? You have to ask yourself, what is going to be the reserve money, the reserve currency for the metaverse? Mm -hmm. And I think it's pretty safe to say it's not going to be a fiat currency. Oh, right? oh 100%. It's, it's not going to be US dollars. It's not going to be, you know, uh, the digital RMB. It's not going to be the yen. It's not going to be the euro, right? That is a uh, foreign currency inside of the metaverse whereas foreign ether, invader right ether is a native currency mm -hmm. of the metaverse and has a specific set of of properties and, and rights and has higher status right so like if you believe in the metaverse thesis and that this is essentially um how humanity is going to evolve over the next you know decades to come into this into this digital age then you have to ask what currency what a store of value asset is um, the leading candidate to become the reserve asset of this space, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and any list that doesn't have Ether at like number one, first place from a probability perspective, other things mm -hmm. could happen. Other mm -hmm. you know currencies could emerge. Um, this could play out in kind of a different way that we don't foresee. But um, it seems so clear to me that Ether is like the number one most probable asset to uh to take that to take that rule and to be that reserve currency ain't going to be fiat right. unlikely it's going to be something like bitcoin bitcoin does not have the surface area to host or right. support a metaverse and all of the eth killers that i've seen to date david uh have made trade-offs that make them much not, more centralized and yeah. less likely to become the settlement layer for mm -hmm. the metaverse so kind of full circle here a little bit on bankless where you know from the outset 
we've um, we've been looking at different lenses to to view some of these crypto assets. We've long recognized that Bitcoin and Ether are, are some of the most important. But I think this um, this lens that Ether is going to be the reserve currency of the metaverse is is something new, and I think could give a could give this whole thing even more legs, right? Like, you know, 10k, 20k price of ETH, um, you know, <laughs> that ain't nothing, yeah. right? Compared to uh, what this could become and what this could mm-hmm. be, right? During the 2020 NFT phenomenon, during like the the fall winter, um, there's that meme that came out where like um, art is priced in ETH, and I think that was actually early premonitions of what came out of the second NFT phenomenon, which is ETH is metaverse money. Uh, the fact that uh, when people when people value like CryptoPunks or art blocks, they don't price them in dollars, they price them in ETH. And I think that's just indicative as like the rest of the metaverse will be priced in ETH. Well, sum this up for us, David. I think your article ends with this uh, this interesting kind of um, table. Maybe, maybe it's a meme, but maybe you can describe this for the podcast listeners. Mm-hmm. And th- this looks kind of simple, looks kind of uh, you know, cute, maybe dumb, but y- you also say that there's a lot of nuance here. So why don't you describe what we're looking at and uh, talk about this? Yeah, it starts off, it definitely is a meme, but like I actually think it's really, really profound. And like we always say on Bakelist, memes are representations of the truth. And so the, the title of this chart is Technology Terms Used in Startup Descriptions and Tech Articles. And it has two columns. It's like a pre-post. It's like 2021, 20, uh, 2020 versus 2021. And so in 2020, we had multiplayer games. But now in 2021, we call it the metaverse. In 2020, we had virtual reality experience. In 2021, well, it's just called the metaverse. Uh, 2020, augmented reality filter, metaverse. 5G cloud connection, AR cloud, digital avatar, digital event, metaverse, 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 metaverse. It's all the metaverse. And so like when I talked about like the metaverse will be rendered at the periphery, it's because all of these things are different like representations of the metaverse on in their own domain, like a multiplayer game. Well, if you hook it into Ethereum, now it's the metaverse. Virtual reality, if you hook it into Ethereum, now it's the metaverse. Like a 5G connection on your phone, well, if there's assets on there, now it's, now it's part of the metaverse. And so while this was a facetious meme of just like people trying to hype up their product by saying, oh, we're a metaverse company, they're right. Like they are a metaverse company. <laughs> All they have to do is integrate with a digital shared uh, state of global assets. And right now that's Ethereum. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a good way to end it. Um, so, what are the what are the takeaways here for people? Um, I guess if I'm talk, you know, thinking at the top of my head, uh, one of the big takeaways is you know, don't miss this, mm-hmm. right? Like the metaverse is here. The metaverse is coming. Uh, if you believe this, then you should be on a quest to collect all the metaverse money you can, buy and hold, mm-hmm. right? That would only make sense to go invest in the crypto assets that you think could be reserve currencies of this new metaverse economy. Uh, You definitely wanna understand how the metaverse financial system works so you can operate in it in the future. Mm -hmm. Maybe teach your kids because they're gonna be brought up in this metaverse as well. So you wanna understand DeFi. You probably wanna join the metaverse economy in Mm -hmm. some meaningful way. Maybe work for a metaverse native entity like a DAO. and you probably want to immerse yourself in metaverse culture just to figure out what that's all about. Maybe invest in metaverse mm-hmm. culture where you can, because 
culture is humanity and if humanity is transitioning into the metaverse that's where our culture is going to reside as well in fact all of this seems like advice that josh rosenthal told us at the end of the crypto renaissance um episode where, where we talked about humanity transitioning into this new crypto renaissance maybe another word for that is transitioning into the metaverse um these are some of my takeaways do you have any others to add yeah, I, I happen to be in Denver for the MCON conference, the Metacartel conference, and there's also a lot of uh, Metafactory people here as well. And Ryan, like, I have to say, I thought that you and I were at like the the top of the game when it comes to like understanding the metaverse. I think we're about a year behind some of the people that I'm talking to <laughs> at this conference right now. Awesome. And like the the Metacartel and Metafactory teams, like the, that those DAOs, which are DAOs by the way. Uh, they know what's up and some of the art and stuff going on here is like really really blowing my mind uh and the, the the big takeaway here is that like who do you think is going to build the metaverse is it going to be the Z mark zuckerbergs of the world the zuckverse or is it going to be DAOs? i think a significant part of the richness side of the metaverse is going to be built by DAOs because they are internet native organizations. They are metaverse organizations. And so the metaverse I think is going to be built by these organizations. And so if you want a part of these things, it's another call to action to find a DAO that is building the metaverse and join that effort as well. Uh, and then also in my article, I leave off just a, a few notes that quickly came to mind as, as I was trying to tie this off. And I said, I can only leave you with the same lessons we have learned over and over again throughout crypto. Fair launches work. Start, that's one. And so the metaverse needs to be built and it needs to be built with credible neutrality foundations, credibly neutral foundations. And that's what fair launches are. So different pockets of the metaverse are just going to explode into existence via fair launches. I think that's a, a decent prediction to make. Uh, the other one is that leaders matter. Um, we, this is just a fundamental truth, like we need leadership. And so when we talk about like fair launches and aping into fair launches, uh, we also need leaders to take the mantle and actually guide us into the metaverse. So there's an action item there. But ultimately, I've, and this is the last one, we are going to ape into everything until we figure it out. Uh, and so the metaverse is going to be built no matter what. It's just a matter of how efficiently and quickly can we do it. We only see it like dimly through a mirror right now. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know, 90% of the things we say in this episode might not turn out to be true. Have like no idea, but it's- Hey, previous Bankless episodes hold up pretty damn well, right? <laughs> They've held up pretty well uh, so far, I've got to say. But um, we also, I, I anticipate, I guess another way to say that is like, I anticipate 10,000 things that we never would have mm. predicted 100%. to come about. I think- uh, broad strokes, this is kind of a, a very broad thesis that the metaverse is coming, you should get involved, and that Ethereum will be the center of this thing. But there will be so many other things that we're not able to predict that you just have to keep your eyes peeled. And we will, of course, try to update you on them as they arise. That's what Bankless is for. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Um, some action items for you. Number one is read the article we've been referencing this entire episode. That is The Metaverse Emerges. We'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, number two, some previous podcasts that we've referenced. Um, of course, Welcome to Bankless. It's kind of a canonical bankless um, introduction that you should listen to if you already haven't. Also, A Bankless Nation, where we talk about crypto as a nation state and the protocol sync thesis. We'll include links to those in the show notes. 
Uh, also, we never say this, but another way to level up on the metaverse is to become a Bankless Premium member. We never talk about the uh, the perks of being a premium member on Bankless, but now's maybe an opportunity to do that. A Bankless Premium member gets a number of things, including a full market opportunity report. What's going on in crypto every single Monday? We publish that on the newsletter. A uh, Bankless Premium member also gets an inner circle Discord chat. This is a, a group in Discord uh, of Bankless sojourners that, that meet and talk about everything that's going on in crypto. It's fundamental for the journey. Also includes a debrief where after every single Monday episode, David and I give our thoughts on the Bankless Premium RSS feed. So you get a premium podcast feed with it. Uh, also included is Alpha Alerts, where if there's a big opportunity in crypto, we try to publish that to you so you know about it first. And a 2021 Bankless Badge NFT. That could be a valuable property in the metaverse as well in the future. So if you're interested in any of those things, we will include a link so that you can become a Bankless Premium member as well. Guys, that's been everything. Of course, none of this was financial advice. ETH is risky, DeFi is risky. So is the metaverse. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.